0: Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. What is an educated person in the 21st century? We are going to take the hour to answer that question, perhaps with your help. You can email us to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com with your thoughts on this. Or you can call us, 800-826-1495. Our guest to answer this question is Dr. Norman Jones. He's a professor of history at Utah State University. Um, He has spent his career learning what uh, makes an educated person, and in 40 years at USU, he's headed the History Department, founded Religious Studies and Classics, taught thousands of students, who honored him as Teacher of the Year in 1982 and 2018. He chairs the Regents' General Education Task Force, and for 21 years has led Utah's What is an Educated Person? conference. And uh, there is an event coming up that you're invited to. Uh, That is on Saturday, 5 o'clock, 5 to 6.30 p.m. at the Park City Peaks Hotel in Park City. Uh, Dr. Jones will be delivering a lecture titled, What is an Educated Person in the 21st Century? That's free and open to the uh, public. Uh, Norman Jones, welcome back to Access Utah. It's a pleasure to be back. Um, full disclosure: I took your class <laughs> the, some thirty years ago. I, I think I got an A, so that's uh, thank you for that. I was an easy grader. Yeah, there you yeah, go. <laughs> <laughs> You've been interested in this in this uh, question for a long time, and been been involved in the state and national level on this. Before we d- jump into this, uh, I want to get what makes Norman Jones an educated person. So, <laughs> uh, you, you grew up in Idaho. College of Southern Idaho was your first institution? That's
1: right. Yeah, I'm I'm a farm kid from outside of Twin Falls. And uh, uh, to, to put the full demographic on this, my father was not educated. My mother had gone to uh, the University of Utah. Uh, I don't think she graduated. But at mm-hmm. any rate, I came from that kind of, of rural background. Um, I started the College of Southern Idaho because it was there. Um, and in those days, we didn't have concurrent enrollment and all those other things. So I just had teachers who, in high school, said, you ought to go take some college courses. So I did. I went from there to Idaho State in Pocatello, did my bachelor's degree. Um, Then I did a master's degree in history at University of Colorado in Boulder. And then I ended up doing a PhD
0: at the University of Cambridge in England. Mm. What was your, when you were thinking about this and taking those classes while you're still in high school and contemplating college, what was your goal? What was your purpose what did, why did you want to go to college?
1: Well, uh, I li- I liked history, but if I'd, I'd like to put it in another frame, I liked learning. Uh, I got hooked on learning at an early age. This is probably the fault of my parents. Uh, and so going to college seemed like a natural thing because that's how you continued to learn. Mm. Uh, somewhere along the way, it evolved into you can get paid to be a learner by being a professor. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I didn't know much as I look back on, on what I didn't know. I didn't know that probably if you want to be a professor,
0: you don't start at the College of Southern Idaho. Yeah. Um, yeah. But <laughs> right. nonetheless, right. it yeah. worked. It worked out. <laughs> it worked out, yeah. Ended up in Cambridge, and I'm, I'm interested to just go along to compare and can contrast, you did. You were at PhD program mm-hmm. uh, there. Um, w- w- are, are there differences in the attitude between the higher education in England versus uh, the U.S.? Uh, tremendous differences in attitude.
1: Uh, maybe getting less so now because the society is less class structured than it was, but when I went in the 1970s, it was still a very class-based system. Uh, and so the American emphasis on learning for, for civic participation wasn't really there. And, of course, the whole system is, is a tutorial system. So you do it yourself. You, you personally appear before your teachers one-on-one. Uh, you prove what you can do, and uh, doing the dissertation was the same way. Uh, they essentially said, go write a book, if we like it, we'll give you a doctorate. Mm. Uh, so, n- no classes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so yes. it's a very different experience. But, but I learned, in, in comparison to the two kinds of experiences, uh, how much students can be trusted to learn if you set up the conditions for learning correctly. So coming back to work in the American system, I've always had this kind of uh, tension between you have to take the class and, well, if you
0: really want to learn it, there are ways. Mm, Right. (laughs) But you have to be a self-starter. You have to want it, right? Mm -hmm. I think that brings us to uh, the beginning point of what makes an educated person. Um, a, A lot of students today, it's my perception, don't come in like young Norman Jones. It's it's not so much. I just want to continue my learning, and I'm passionate about learning. Although that's that's usually an undercurrent. Mm-hmm. If you ask them, the the stated goal is: I want a good job. I want to. I want good employment. I want to make the money I need to support a family or whatever it might be. <laughs> yeah, there's no doubt about that, uh,
1: and that that's the the, the larger public discourse around higher education. Higher education has been seen rightly as the way in which you get that good job. Uh, and sometimes wrongly is the way you make that big salary. Uh, but the normally when we talk to students, uh, the, the incoming students, the number one reason that they are coming to college is the expectation that they, they need a degree to, to be employable. And so that's certainly the
0: perception, and that's not untrue. People with college degrees do get jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is true and and has become more and more true, right? as more and more people, mm-hmm. a higher percentage of the population goes to college. Mm-hmm. I don't know chicken and egg, but but um, uh, it more and more jobs require that at least a college degree, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, or some sort of advanced education, yes, because the the economy has become much more complex. Uh, so there are fewer and fewer jobs there that can be learned simply on the job, and fewer and fewer employers who are willing to, to shell out to train people to do the job. Um, but even if you're doing uh, technical degrees, the, the the level of, say, computer literacy that you need... Is, and, and the math that goes with it is fairly high. So jobs that you wouldn't think necessarily require advanced education now do require it. So there, there is an economic reason behind that expectation of more and more education. What hasn't caught up, of course, is that our social willingness to give education up to that level, uh, a high school degree used to be enough, and for most people, most jobs
0: no longer is enough. Yeah, which, you know, causes some angst. In some circles, you know, the college education can be expensive, relatively expensive. And yes. So, so to gain that entree, you know, to gain that entree to the middle class, mm-hmm. if you're not there, or to preserve that, uh, you're going to have to find the money, I guess, and the time and the, and the will and the the smarts to go to college. Yeah. Uh,
1: you are going to have to invest in yourself. That, that's the benign way of putting it. One of the problems with the American discussions of higher education is that there's not a good way of finding out if the investment that you're making is the right investment. We worry a great deal about tuition levels, for instance. But tuition levels vary enormously depending on what kind of institution you're going to. Um, I kind of think that getting an education is like the advice a jeweler friend of mine gave me. He said in in selling jewelry, if it doesn't sell, you double the price Mm -hmm. because it's the perception of value, not the actual value that Mm -hmm. people are purchasing. And we have lots of institutions who charge a great deal of money who don't give us any better
0: education, but you have the perception of it being a better education. Mm. So, and uh, there's we invest as a society, right, as well as state mm -hmm. institution like the one we're sitting in right now, Mm -hmm. USU. uh, Education is highly subsidized,
1: highly subsidized, but less and less. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the reasons that the perception of the cost of college has gone up is that the public investment in higher education has gone down. So in the state of Utah, for years, you, you track the investment in higher education against the investment in the penal system. And as prison costs rise, higher education subsidies fall. So institutions like Utah State now were somewhere 25 28% state subsidized. Uh, there was a time we were much high, more highly subsidized than that. And so that extra cost
0: has been passed on to the students. Um, and with that investment is, you know, still pretty substantial investment, though it has been declining, as you've uh, been saying, um, come complaints from some circles. Mm-hmm. Um, Senator Stevenson famously, a few <laughs> years ago, d- talked about degrees to nowhere, right? Yeah. <laughs> De- decried people coming out with I don't know what degree and can't get a job. Um, if, if, if you have that framework of a, a college education is, is the path to employment you know, then then that can be a complaint. Yeah. Uh, Senator Stevens,
1: of course, was actually saying that he didn't wish to use state money to subsidize degrees that he did not perceive as having value. Hmm. Uh, but, of course... All degrees have value, and that's that 's sort of one of the ironies of his um, I think he was attacking anthropology you know there 's a short short list of degrees you attack mm-hmm. anthropology and art history are right at the top right yes that 's true <laughs> that 's true those are the ones you hear yes those are the ones, yeah, even Garrison yeah, Keeler yeah, makes fun yeah, of art history, yeah, mm-hmm. even though he supports english degrees yeah. uh, so the The perception there somehow is that the the state should only subsidize those degrees which serve the state 's economic interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a very short-sighted kind of model of what economic interest is, given that most people will have five to seven jobs at least
0: yeah. in their lifetimes, and we live in what is increasingly a gig economy. Right. Uh, that's true. So that brings up two points, and I, I want to uh, get to you. You have, uh, in your in your talk, and I have a copy of part of it here, uh, you have two other reasons why mm-hmm. we why we go to college, we're talking about the job part, but... For the t- this time, setting aside Senator Stevenson's specific point, which was he didn't want the state to subsidize degrees that he you know, felt were more esoteric, I guess, and not directly connected to the economy, uh, this idea of um, you come out with whatever degree, maybe you then have a hard time getting a job. You've mm-hmm. just invested you know, four years, mm-hmm. X number of dollars. Um, shouldn't, therefore, you know, college be directing people uh, for full employment?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting argument. Uh, There there are two problems with that. One is that college people, people with college degrees, are pretty much at full employment. Uh, The economists can argue about is that 4% or 3%, but people with college degrees are much more employed than anybody else in the economy. And even at the the depth of the Great Recession, uh, the unemployment rate for college-educated people was 6%, 7%, somewhere in there. Uh, So they are employed, and it doesn't matter what their degree is. They are employed if they choose to be. That's another Mm-hmm. Related question: yeah. uh, Some people don't choose to
0: use their degrees, uh, but they are employed. And I guess that's a point, right? Uh, I guess maybe that's the complaint you hear. I came out in art history, and I'm working at Starbucks, mm-hmm. kind mm-hmm. of thing. But it, but but they're, by and large, college graduates are are employed. They
1: they are employed, and they're not necessarily working at Starbucks. I mean, the the national data on this is pretty clear. The One of the questions is, when did you take the picture of the college? Graduate, six months after they graduated or six years? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So uh, because degrees in most subjects produce pretty much the same employment and earnings over time. So that uh, it doesn't really matter if you did a degree in business or did a degree in history. Over time, your earnings look pretty much the same. The only outliers in that are if you did a degree in certain kinds of engineering, not all kinds, but certain kinds. It used to be a few years ago as petroleum engineers were at the very top of the the scale. Uh, The very bottom of the scale, unfortunately, is education. Mm -hmm. So if you become a teacher, uh, you're going to be paid at about 62% of the average salary of a person with a four-year degree. Mm -hmm. So we, we... Punish people with degrees in education, and we reward people with degrees in, in petroleum engineering. But most people are within a few
0: percentage points of one another over time mm-hmm. in terms of their earnings. Now that's going against the conventional wisdom. So I want to I mm-hmm. want to have you follow up on that. Degree in history, degree in business. Mm-hmm. The conventional wisdom would be you can never earn more over your lifetime if you get a business degree. Mm-hmm. Well, and
1: that's. Uh, not actually true statistically. Mm. Um, and, and some of that has to do with the other things the college degree does for you because the, the Eric, the national d- database for all this stuff says that 51% of degrees in history are employed in management. And that's about the same percentage as who have degrees in business. So they may all be doing similar jobs, right. even though it would appear to the outsider that having a degree in business is automatically going to get
0: you more work in business. Mm-hmm. So uh, d- as you say, a degree is not destiny. Mm-hmm. Just choose something that you enjoy. You're going gonna to come out with the skills that, that you need. One of those skills, uh, I, I think, is the, to learn how to learn. Right? Because you're going to need that. Most people have, you say, five or six different mm-hmm. jobs. With the, the complicated world we live in,
1: yes. Uh, learning how to learn pretty well sums it all up. Uh, there, there is no content anymore that has to be learned exactly. Because the content of learning keeps changing so rapidly. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's not a profession in the world that hasn't changed. It doesn't have something you have to learn. But even more, you have to learn that next job. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a friend who is an employment sociologist. He says that in the future, the average job will be what he calls the tour of duty, three to five years. And if you don't put yourself out of business, they'll fire you so you have to be constantly ready to learn the, the next thing that comes along and most of us of a certain age are familiar with what this means i mean those of us who remember when they brought computers into daily life <laughs> yeah yeah changed their lives right. if, you, if you didn't learn to use one you were in trouble right
0: yeah those of us who uh, remember a world without the internet you know, That's right. Those, is, those before the class of 2012. <laughs> yeah. 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 Which is, it's so ubiquitous now that I, I, I honestly can't remember parts of that, you know, where mm-hmm. you, you had to send a letter. It wasn't, there was no email, you know, <laughs> now we're just sounding like a couple of old codgers, but, uh, um, I, I want to ask you though, when we come back from break, um, to compare and contrast university today and what is an educated person mm-hmm. versus when the universities began mm-hmm. 12th century around there. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, get into other uh, parts of what is an educated person. We've talked about employment. i uh, get into talking about uh, life and leadership and uh, citizen scholars. That's, uh, that's part of the USU mission statement, right? We've produced mm-hmm. citizen scholars. Um, we'll talk about those uh, areas of what is an educated person in the 21st century following this break. But uh, before we go to break, uh, my guest is uh, Norman Jones. He's a professor of history at uh, Utah State University. And uh, he has uh, chaired the Regents General Education Task Force for many years and for 21 years has led Utah's What is an Educated Person conference. And uh, that'll be happening Saturday for this year, Saturday, October 6th, this coming Saturday, 5 to 6.30 p.m., Park City Peaks Hotel in Park City, free and open to the public. More following this break. Support for agricultural reporting on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the USU School of Veterinary Medicine, training the next generations of veterinarians to make one health a reality and benefit for everyone. Details at vetmed.usu.edu. Welcome to Science by the Slice. Today's electronics demand safer, more compact, and less expensive batteries. USU chemist Leo Lu and students are studying magnesium batteries, which offer these advantages and may someday replace lithium ion batteries. A challenge is unreliable performance, which Liu says is caused by impurities in the battery's electrolyte. He and his team discovered adding magnesium powder remedies this obstacle and yields improved performance. This segment of Science by the Slice is brought to you by the USU College of Science, offering degree programs in mathematics and varied scientific disciplines. Details at usu.edu science. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Dr. Norman Jones is with me in studio. He is an eminent professor of history and religious studies at Utah State University. Uh, He's spent his career uh, learning what makes an educated person. And uh, that's the question we're attempting to answer today. What is an educated person in the 21st century? That'll be the title of a lecture Dr. Jones will be giving in Park City on Saturday, 5 to 6.30 p.m., Park City Peaks Hotel, in Park City, free and open to the, uh, the public. Um, so, Dr. Jones, before the break, I made reference to uh, maybe comparing, contrasting what university education was at the very, the beginning, what it is today. So uh, uh, maybe we talk a little bit about that. What, what constitutes an educated person then?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think we'll go all the way back to Aristotle. So ancient Greece, because Aristotle uh, was thinking about what makes the best possible life. And he said, education is the key. And it's about how you how you learn to think, really. It's a critical thinking is one way to put it. But you, to be able to think and to learn makes you an educated person. But of course, that's built upon this enormous foundation of all this stuff that you that you slowly learn. So you, you there is content in education, but the content is not the point of education. It's what you can do with the content. That is is the point, and how that allows you to interface with a much more complex world. So in the 12th century, the point of bachelor's degree, uh, the first universities a bachelor's degree, was called a beginner's degree. That is, you learned enough then that you could specialize. If you look at the specialization now, what degrees require a bachelor's degree? The old medieval specialist degrees, theology, law, medicine, <laughs> <laughs> Not engineering because that's a brand new. It's 1847. Uh, so it's a foundation that you build your life on. That's what being an education, educated person has meant, whether it's in Aristotle's Athens or it's in the 12th century in Paris or it's
0: now. Mm-hmm. Now, at a certain point, I think famous in the Enlightenment. Um, you could conceivably, and the, the goal of people, to at least the, the educated people, to... Know everything there was to know, right? Mm-hmm. Which seems so uh, outdated and quaint now because of the explosion of knowledge. But you could, you know, that's what the encyclopedia was. That that was all knowledge, right? Uh, that's
1: right. It, yeah, the, the original encyclopedia. Absolutely. Now, the, the, knowing everything there is to know used to be, until very recently, what happened in college in part because of the way it was taught. Because there was a time that the professor stood up and told you what you needed to know. Uh, that's that era is pretty much gone, because the knowledge is changing so fast. And so one of the great changes, not in the goal but in the practice of education, is preparing you to go on learning this even without some professor standing up and telling you what to know. Mm-hmm. So it's it's been a sea change in that sense.
0: And in today's world, it can seem overwhelming. You know, there's just mm-hmm. so much out there, and that you you know you. Or every trade, it's a fire hose. So you have to learn, I guess, context. They have to have a framework, because mm-hmm. that's what college can give you. That's what
1: college gives you. That's right. It's it's that's that set of analytical skills to make patterns, to recognize good knowledge, useful knowledge, and make patterns out of that
0: knowledge, so you can apply those patterns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to get too overtly political here, but it but it does does enter in. Um, the very fact of being educated has become political, mm-hmm. and and is a political a a, a very uh, good predictor of a, a political demarcation mm-hmm. in today's world. Uh, I don't know if there's danger there for for the college movement for you know mm-hmm. for, for public perception of of universities. And well,
1: education. there is, but that's not a new danger. It uh, higher education is a valuable commodity. And people fight over valuable commodities. And that makes it important. It doesn't mean that people won't do it. It makes it important to have the conversation about what goes on in higher education. Uh, It certainly is true that being educated means you see the world in a different way. And that often is a much more complex way. So in political conversations that like simple answers, uh, having complex answers not popular, Mm -hmm. but the nature of the complexity we have to understand because what education does is it gives you paradigms for analyzing evidence. And the university last year, USU, had a series of discussions they called facticity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the facticity discussions were asking questions about, well, how do you know something is true within the context of proper analysis? You know, and then you could talk about climate change. You could talk about God. You could talk about all sorts of things. It's not that we were saying there's absolute truth, but we're saying that there are respected and respectable ways of deriving acceptable truth <laughs> right. according to our methodologies and the sciences. Uh, so, and every every discipline has these, and that's what students are
0: learning to think in a structured and disciplined way. So, and this is what Facticity's series was getting at, uh, and the very fact that uh, there was felt a need to have the series mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, is the fact that even the truth, even facts, is, is becoming political. Right. And, and uh, if you're in a certain tribe, then you do not accept certain mm-hmm. facts. Uh, I don't know what the academy can do with that. Mm-hmm. I guess you just educate students and that you have in front of you. I don't know. Outreach? I don't know. With-
1: well, you You do, but one of the things that... I think people don't quite understand by what the academy is doing and it's why college educated people are different is that we are a, a major is not a degree and in the degree you are learning this this broad set of skills that changes your perception of yourself and your context in society uh, how you relate to your family how you relate to your community how you participate in government there are all sorts of things that are changed by understanding the that there's a broad Kind of knowledge out there, and and that you're located somewhere in this
0: great sea, <laughs> right? Uh, there's another factor here that's that uh, I think it's uh, it's kind of remarkable to me that as more and more people are getting that college degree, and the and the statistics are pretty startling over time. I'll have you give give those to me mm-hmm. as we go along. Um, at the same time. As more and more people are crossing that threshold and becoming, quote unquote, the elite, part of that elite, mm-hmm. um, th- those who don't have a degree, or some of them at least, are, are, are you know, kind of stick their nose up. You know, this, this, this end, not look down on, but resent, I guess, being looked down on by that elite, mm-hmm. even as more and more of us are joining that, mm-hmm. that class. And I don't know, I, I guess I just note this, and it's it's kind of a paradox. Well, it's not a surprising paradox, at least not to a historian, because what we're
1: talking about is the fact of social change. We're living in a very rapid period of social and economic change. Uh, I mean, Tom, you and I are of a certain age that we can remember an age that is totally dead and gone. Right. <laughs> and not everything that is dead and gone should have been killed, you know? Right. Uh, and people are, have a hard time figuring out where they fit into this. So at the, on the one hand, you may resent the change. On the other hand, you don't want your children to be left out of the change. Mm-hmm. So that's that's why college isn't going to disappear. There's there's a fight about who gets access. And the good thing that is changing
0: is the access. Yeah. So tell me those the statistics. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's. I think we're aware of a, a shift in gender. Mm-hmm. But I had not been aware of a you know shift in socioeconomic um, status, and then people are, more and more people are going to college.
1: More and more people are going to college from much broader social classes, and that that makes a huge difference. Uh, the shift in gender, um, we've gone from the 1970s when about thirty percent of college students were women. Now fifty six percent of college students are women. So now if, you're, if you want to hire an educated person to work for you, your chances are you're going to have to hire women. This is a sea change. And, and this isn't, of course, always true across all disciplines right now, uh, but it's coming. And it's having interesting effects in all sorts of places, one of them being that uh, there are fewer women going into things like education. So mm-hmm. the, our, our current teacher shortage not only relates to bad salaries, but may relate to changed opportunity for women. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the same thing is true with lower income group. Uh, the, the way the stats are kept, they, they, they have three income groups, uh, low income, middle income, upper income. The low income participation in college has gone from about 39% to 69 or 70% over the last 50 years. Uh, which which is a huge thing. I and, mean, of course, we've been putting all sorts of efforts into recruiting this group. But inside of that group we also have all, lots of others because we've, we've got a large uh, immigrant population and a lot of the second, especially second generation of that population, are going to college. Uh, in the state of Utah, about 35% of the college-eligible students by 2030 will be of Hispanic background. Hmm. Um, so, and we're, we're seeing that, that wave begin to swell. So you've got more women, you have more poor people, you have more minorities of various kinds participating in education. The group that is participating in education less than they used to is men. Mm. Why is that? Well, we're not quite sure. <laughs> and, of course, there are social and economic breakdowns in that as well. So you're more likely to see poorer women going to college than you are to see poorer men going to college. Whereas if you're the upper economic groups, going to college is an assumed thing. You may have no reason why or idea why you're going, but you're going to go. Right. You know, your mother told you that, and you, you will. Right. Um, so you're not seeing the same growth in men going to college from the
0: the lower socioeconomic groups. Mm. Uh, so so the, the growth has slowed, but in in real numbers, fewer men coming in, in percentages. In percentages. percentages, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. of course, the population of the country keeps growing. Yeah. Uh, so uh, with with fewer men, at least percentage wise, uh, coming, what will what will be the effects of that?
1: Well, I think the effects of that uh already seen in a lot of disciplines. I mean you you're 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 going to see more women in lots of places where women traditionally weren't seen simply because they're the ones who have the degrees. And we would like to
0: have a doctor who has a degree in medicine. You're so. mm-hmm. right. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> I imagine uh, there would be, you know, uh social cultural implications mm-hmm. of that as well
1: yeah there 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 are because of course uh, the same disparity means that increasingly
0: women will make as much or more than their husbands mm-hmm. yeah uh, with you know, there's a there's a lot that will shake out from that yeah I'm, I'm sure mm-hmm. Um, so we've, we've talked about job and, uh, and life. I want to talk a little bit. We've touched on this, but maybe uh, focus on this now. By the way, we're talking with uh, Norman Jones. He's a professor of history at Utah State University. He's giving a talk on Saturday in Park City called What is an Educated Person in the 21st Century? And uh, that's uh, Park City Peaks Hotel, Saturday, 5 to 6.30 p.m. That's free and open to the, uh, the public. There's a third area you mentioned. That's leadership, mm-hmm. uh, talking about uh, citizen. Uh-huh. leaders. Uh, we want college graduates to come out and be good uh-huh. citizens. Yeah. This has been an
1: American ideal uh, since the founding. I mean, Thomas Jefferson saw this, uh, but I think it is most obvious when you look at the foundation of land grant universities, you know, in 1862, Abraham Lincoln did two really important things. He freed the slaves and he created the land grant universities. Uh, And USU being one of those, we have to be eternally grateful. (laughs) But But the land grant legislation made the point that all people in the United States, in order to participate in our civic life, needed a liberal education and uh, Senator Morrill and, and his colleagues pretty well define a liberal education as including those things that Senator Stevenson thinks are useless. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the legislation actually that creates Utah State says that they should be educated in history and literature and classics mm-hmm. uh, and philosophy and other other useless subjects. So mm-hmm. in 1905, the dairy maids at Utah State had to take philosophy.
0: Mm. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> you can understand, you know, I, I can empathize. I hate to keep picking on uh, Senator Stevenson, but he's, he's the one who cr- coined the phrase. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know if coined it, but uh, famously said it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so we in, we in the academy, uh, I guess, use him as, a <laughs> as someone to, 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 uh, to mm-hmm. tilt against. Um, but, but he's not the only one right who who, no. who shares that feeling that well, uh, it, the, the, the what we learn ought to be practical
1: yeah and, and that's there's a total and con- continuous tension between those two things the land grant universities were to make better farmers and housekeepers and engineers mm-hmm. and that's why utah state has engineering and forestry and the University of Utah has medicine and law. Right. Uh, so uh, they, they they saw the utility, but what they also understood is that in a citizen-led republic, you had to have a broad base of education. Because so it doesn't matter what your occupation is, you have a responsibility to the community. And that responsibility is better performed by
0: people who have better education. Hmm. That's why Joseph Morrill, as you say, uh, in a land-grant institution mm-hmm. designed to produce good farmers, mm-hmm. wanted uh, the students to learn classics.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, and and, uh, a base I, of knowledge that everyone should have.
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah, I just visited his home, and it's fascinating because he has a model farm, but he also loved medieval history. Mm-hmm. So he has stained glass windows and he's in his study. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: so he was kind of the living example of this. <laughs> right. I guess Jefferson himself would be a, an example. Yeah. I, I don't know whether Jefferson, with his yeoman farmer, had in his mind that all of those farmers would be mm-hmm. as educated as he was. Mm-hmm. But I, I suppose some education, right? To, uh,
1: well, I, in, in Jefferson's world, of course, he didn't expect political participation from most people. That's true. Yeah, he, landowners, yeah. <laughs> yeah, participated in politics, but that's the class that needed education, right? Right. And they, you know, so the University of Virginia is part of
0: of Jefferson's vision of what kind of education was needed, right? And I think the, the maybe even more important in Jefferson's view, because my understanding of it is that uh, the people who are close to the land are going to. Have the best values. That yes. They will then bring to the to the public square.
1: That that's right. Because they're as a farmer, I I know that they are hardworking, right. honest, good people. Yeah, yeah. And that's the, Jefferson's assumption. I think he also made an economic assumption that they had an economic stake. Mm. They had something to lose.
0: <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And he he seemed to trust them implicitly. That the the pe- mm-hmm. the majority of people will make the right decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, you know. After some elections, and I won't tell you which elections, but um, I, I I kind of agree with Hamilton, who said the people is a beast, and we, we need to have severe limits. Well, uh, and that's why we have a republic, not a democracy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Think what you
1: th- want about the, the electoral college. That's part mm-hmm. of the, the checks and balances that were built in to right. prevent pure democracy from producing some of the unfortunate results that it produced in
0: ancient Greece. Right, <laughs> So if we bring the conversation forward, and I'm sure if Joseph Morrow were here today, if Jefferson were here today, uh, they would say whatever the exploding technology is, the same rules apply. Mm-hmm. We need to be learning the classics. We need to be mm-hmm. learning whatever it is, mm-hmm. a, a common base of knowledge. Mm-hmm. They would say that, but then they would be fascinated by the change in the way in which we deliver
1: it. Because that's maybe the, the the great change in education in the 21st century is that we have liberated the professors and the students to do learning in new ways. Yeah. And that has to do with, with the amount of knowledge that we have. You know, we have smartphones in our pockets, the smartphones don't make us smart, but they give us potential. <laughs> yeah, and so the use of that kind of technology changes the classroom enormously. Yeah, and you you no longer have to stand and talk. You can you can say you can read it for yourself. It's out there. You can so let's use the classroom time for something different. Let's structure the learning in a different way. Um, one of our problems in modern education, twenty first century education, is that we're living inside of a early 20th century institutional structure, and with things like credit hours and semesters, which don't necessarily fit what we can do with the new technologies and the new, new approaches to learning.
0: Mm. What will be the implications then? I, I'm sure that some the fundamentals will remain the same, right? We, the we outcomes just, are the same. Yeah. We
1: have to have people who can think critically using the appropriate paradigms. Uh, and who have who can contextualize whatever they're doing. So that's the outcome we've always needed. Uh, but the implication is that you can perhaps do it faster, you can do it in different ways.
0: Mm-hmm. I wonder, we talked about this earlier in, in the program, but it keeps coming back, and I, it's a personal worry of mine. With everything that's out there, I just feel overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. What would you maybe expand on that? What mm-hmm. What about the context? What about the paradigm? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is most important that that you know can can help me navigate mm-hmm. this without feeling <laughs> lost and overwhelmed and frankly in today's political world depressed yeah <laughs>
1: well the the depression I can't deal with okay because <laughs> people have always been bad and times have always been bad but uh so maybe that's that's one of the lessons in context historical context it is not such a bad time Always. Okay. Put it in context. There we go. Context. Okay, right, so okay. know, knowing some history is really important in yeah, all this. Yeah. Uh, but asking the questions of, about what comes at you: Where did this come from? What kind of evidence is this? What was the rhetorical purpose of this? Uh, why does clickbait exist? <laughs> because we're we're being constantly uh, sold things. Yeah. And of course, what is being sold now in the internet era often is is clicks. Uh, they're trying to lure you in. Yeah. How do you lure people in? Well, often fear is the best way to lure you in. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe fear, sex, and violence—you know—the the, the the three great sales pitches. Uh, but the so part of the purpose of education is to teach you to step back and say, where did that come from? What's the purpose of that? How do I evaluate that given what else I know? What else do I need to know to evaluate this? And part of this is to free yourself from dependence on the mindset of, say, Google. Mm-hmm. Because, of course, the Google search is not designed to produce truth. It's designed to produce maximum number of hits. Yeah. If if you understand that, you know you realize, all right, to take what they've given you uh, is not to get at what's true, it's to get at what's popular. Right. So so you, you have to be asking questions all the time about the source of the information, the purpose of the information, the rhetoric of the information, the context in which you are seeing this, uh, and and then say, "Well, so given all that, what is it that I want to do with this?" Mm-hmm. Uh, it has the effect, frankly, if if you think about it very long, of putting a whole lot of news feeds out of business.
0: Mm. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> if we were all to take this, if we were all to take yet. this yes, position, that's right, yeah. <laughs> Another factor here is um, uh, you, you, it used to be when you were in a physical library. Mm-hmm. Wander the stacks and uh, be surprised by where mm-hmm. where you end up. That's harder in today's algorithm world, mm-hmm. where they're going to feed you more of what you have been looking at, and yep. you know get get more clicks. And that's that's a little harder these days. Although it can be done if you go go forward with that purpose. But yeah,
1: it's uh, I guess we we need to have a new Library of Congress system for the internet so yeah. that stuff gets filed in the right place. Um, Because the the physical act of research it used to be, uh, you wandered through the stacks, and if you found the book you were looking for, you also saw the 10 books around it, Mm -hmm. uh, which instantly made you go, hmm, I never thought about that side of it. Um, And so we're we're being herded by the marketing side of the internet where they think we want to go. We will be happier if we only go where we want to go. Mm-hmm. So you have to be very conscious. Of their, you need to ask some more questions that take you to some more places. And uh, I would suggest you go to the library, and they still physically exist. They still do. Yes, <laughs> they do. Yes. <laughs> go to the library. That's right. Yeah. Although I did an exercise in class mm-hmm. the other day, and I, I took physical journals, uh, mm-hmm. scholarly journals, uh, for my students to use, and I said, how many of you have actually ever held one of these? Mm. And only about a third of the class had actually mm. physically held an object. they have been looking up articles online, but the, they didn't really make that connection between there's actually a book this is in yeah. and yeah. its existence.
0: I've been getting more into electronic books. Uh, it's just so convenient. You mm-hmm. can take a whole library with you anywhere you go. But, I don't know, just uh, nothing replaces holding that book in your hands.
1: Well, that that's true, although uh the 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 fact that HathiTrust Trust and, and Google Scholar are busy putting all the world's books at our fingertips changes everything. Mm-hmm. Google Scholar, Google Books two fascinating websites who don't come up in a normal Google search.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but if if you wanna dig a little deeper then you can find well, up up to the copyright wall you can find everything published anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, So there's a huge amount of knowledge out there if you know how to digitally access it. Right,
0: right. And that's the upside. Mm -hmm. That is the upside. Um, Let's take another break. When we come back, um, I want to talk about a word I've been thinking about, uh, which relates here, which is relevance. Some people will say, all right, Dr. Jones, you're a historian, but what does that matter? You know, Tudor England— what does that matter today? And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure you haven't an answered that. Let's uh, uh, and I'll, I'll tell you something I was reading uh, just yesterday that uh, had bearing on this uh, from the from the American Civil War. Uh, we'll talk about that, and we're talking about what is an educated person in the twenty first century with Dr. Norman Jones following this break. Ken Jeong got his big break in The Hangover, went on to star in the show Community, uh, his own show Dr. Ken, and now Crazy Rich Asians. But that all took a leap of faith from Ken, as he once was, I guess still is, a practicing doctor. I talked to Ken Jeong in front of a live studio audience. It's coming up on Q from PRI, Public Radio International. This afternoon at 1 on Utah Public Radio. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Dixie State University Celebrity Concert Series in St. George, featuring the Utah Symphony, Thursday, October 4th. Upcoming shows include BYU Ballroom Dance Company and the Toes Trio. Ticket information at celebrityconcertseries.com. This week on Undisciplined, we are talking about the way newspapers impact the way people think and the ways pollution impacts solar energy. And if those things seem like they have nothing in common, well, that's the point of our show. Joining us will be Alex Koppak, who studies how op-eds impact reader opinions, and I.M. Peters, who studies the impact of haze on energy production. The political scientist and the photovoltaic engineer. That's Undisciplined, Friday at 2. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. We have uh, our last segment left with uh, Dr. Norman Jones. He's a professor of history at uh, Utah State University, and for uh, 40 years at USU's headed uh, history department, founded Religious Studies Classics, and taught thousands of students. Um, he has been interested for a long time about what makes an educated person, and uh, for 21 years, has led Utah's What is an Educated Person conference. He's giving a, a talk at in Park City this Saturday. What is an Educated Person in the 21st century? That'll be at the Park City Peaks Hotel in Park City, five to six thirty p.m. on Saturday, free and open to the, uh, the public. So, Dr. Jones uh, was was mentioning. I want to talk about relevance, uh, and it's a good opportunity to talk to you, a historian, about this. Mm-hmm. Um, but it gets it's broader as well with relevant um, knowledge. I was just reading yesterday an um, opening chapter in a, a compilation of essays uh, written by James McPherson, an eminent uh, scholar of the American Civil War, and he asked a question, uh, you might wonder how I got into Civil War scholarship. Uh, he said uh, he, he went to do his graduate uh, studies at uh, Johns Hopkins University, happened to get an uh, uh, advisor professor who was an eminent scholar of Jim Crow just written a book on the evolution of uh, Jim Crow laws. And uh, this was in the 60s. And so the civil rights, the foment of civil rights, his professor at one point was called to testify before Congress on the history of Jim Crow. And then he, kn- he noticed uh, all of this just connected so directly. And that's what got him into a study of the, the Civil War. And he said it was, it was just so relevant to that day. Uh, so that's a pretty direct relevance. But people might say, uh, okay, Tudor England, which is mm-hmm. your specialty, <laughs> Dr. Jones, uh, what does that have to do with you know, the U.S. in mm-hmm. 21st century? Well, I gave you two very personal answers. I, I
1: think that, first of all, all, all history is relevant. It's just that we don't know when we're going to need it. That's that. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it may be Jim Crow laws now, but you may need Tudor history sooner than you think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I did, a, did a book called Governing by Virtue which is about the 16th century uh, English political system, which was run by men who recognized because of their education and their birth status and their Christian religion that they had a duty to, to take care of their communities. Didn't always do it all that well, but nonetheless it was a, it was a state that worked because the ruling elite took the responsibility to take care of the community. And uh, it's a perfect libertarian world, except it has a queen at the top. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, and these people were educated to do this. Mm. Uh, they were educated in, in, in many of the same ways we're talking about being educated now. Um, I've also just finished a book called Being Elizabethan, which is about the emergence of the idea that the individual conscience should be supreme. And if you wonder where modern individualism comes from, that's its root. Mm. And its root just goes back to the Protestant uh, Reformation. So these are both things that that resonate very much in modern conversation. But the problem with a lot of people's conversations is that, you know, they're quite willing to say things have never been as good or great or bad or awful as they are now. And if you push them a little bit, they actually have no idea... When, when, what, what it was like at any other time, Mm or where where ideas come from, where ideas come from is really important. And the Civil War is a fine example. I mean, we're now we're fighting over Confederate statues, um, and other kinds of of monuments. Um, That's because we're having a battle over our own self definition. It's, It's a battle over our heritage. And what are we as Americans? And you can only answer that by some of that kind of irrelevant historical knowledge mm-hmm. that people would say, well, that's all dead and gone. But it's not dead and gone. It's alive mm-hmm. and well and living inside of
0: us. Right. I just have a couple minutes left. Uh, I want to talk about the, the, this. You have you have said you've reassured me, helped me with my depression about the current <laughs> political divide, that um, you know this isn't the worst it's ever been, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That there have been times worse and that mm-hmm. times better. Um and it is a time of, of social upheaval mm-hmm. uh, in in the U.S. and around the world. Um, I wonder if you could bring any other context uh, in to to talk about how, how we navigate times of social upheaval mm-hmm. and, and increasing divide.
1: Yeah. Well, we navigate them in part by living through them. And mm-hmm. I don't I know that that's any consolation. But people are seeking new paradigms to help them navigate the times. You know, we're getting used to the technology, we're fighting about globalization, but globalization is real, and it's real in a lot of senses. It's not just trade, it's it's climate. Um, You know, these are realities that we can't hide from. What we're having is debates about what we do in response to them. And in normal moments like this, after a great deal of angst and shouting and banging walls and things, uh, a new paradigm emerges to, and and we can work within it again so it's just it's hard to live in interesting times as a historian though i have to point out that sometimes these things turn violent mm. and so we do have to be very aware that uh, the 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 collapse of the world order in world war 1 does produce hitler and mussolini and franco and other really bad things um so, so it's not a time to just sit back and wait for history to take care of it, mm-hmm. because history takes care of it through individuals taking action that, that resolve it. So live
0: through it, um, but actively—that's what you're live saying. Live through it, but actively. Yeah, yes, yeah. So that,
1: that's that's why you're educated. Mm-hmm. Is that you? Yeah. You've got a context. You can see a bigger picture, and that helps you navigate through the hard times. Yeah.
0: Uh, we just have about a minute left. I want to return to this. What is an educated person in the 21st century? What What's the top takeaway that you'd like people to, to take away from this? Well, the
1: takeaway is that we are still trying to do the same thing that education has always done, create critical thinkers, but we're using some new tools. The The, the technology has changed. Who goes to college has changed. So if I'd said, who is an educated person in the 21st century? it's not the same person that would have been educated at the beginning of the 20th century. If I say, how did they get educated? They're not educated using the same tools.
0: They're better educated. Uh, But the end goal remains pretty much the same. Hmm. Uh, Well, the talk is uh, titled, What is an Educated Person in the 21st Century? The um, speaker is uh, Dr. Norman Jones, who's a professor of uh, history at uh, Utah State University and that is the talk is saturday 5 to 6:30 p.m. park city peaks hotel that's free and open to the public uh, norman jones it's a pleasure as always thank you for coming in it's a pleasure thanks and thanks for listening to access utah coming up a showpiece for the tuba by composer john williams I'm not talking about the Jabba the Hutt theme song. It's an actual concerto for tuba and orchestra. Alan Bear solos in concert with the New York Philharmonic on the next performance today from APM.
1: Tonight at 9 on Utah Public Radio. Is
0: Utah Public Radio a road trip staple for your family? Do you listen while running errands around town or tune into your favorite program while cleaning? The UPR staff is sharing where we listen to public radio on our social media accounts, and we want you to join us. Share your favorite listening locations with us via email or on social media using the hashtag WhereIListenUPR. We can't wait to hear from you. We were able to take whatever we could carry in our two hands.
1: At the beginning of World War II, the United States government forced more than 100,000 Japanese Americans into prison camps.
0: We thought we were American citizens. Therefore, we were protected by the Constitution to continue to have the freedom, the liberty that all Americans have a right to.
1: Listen for Order 9066
0: from APM Reports. Join us for this three-part series. Part two is Friday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. A service of the College of Humanities and Social Sciences at Utah State University, this is Utah Public Radio. Heard statewide on KUSR, Logan, KUSK, Vernal, KUSL, Richfield, KUST, Moab, KCEU, Price, and KUSUFM Logan.